Hello and welcome to this very special series of Start Somewhere for COP26 and the climate emergency. And this week, I'm just so excited to talk to two amazing women that I've gotten to know in the last 18 months who are doing extraordinary work. And they are Bianca Pitt, uh, who's co-founder of She Changes Climate, and Antoinette Vermilier, who is also a co-founder of She Changes Climate, but also co-founder of the Gallifrey Foundation. Hi there, Sarah. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's just my absolute delight and uh, apologies uh, for those listening. The puppy is moving and he just shook his head. So <laughs> apologies for that. But, uh, you know, we, 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 we intend to represent all life on Earth in this podcast. So, uh, so, so we're, we're, we're doing our best to, to do that. So as you know, um, we, we start um, this podcast by asking, how did you get started in life? Bianca, maybe you'd like to, to, to kind of answer this question first. Where did you grow up? Like, what were your early passions? You know, was there a kind of, you know, she changes climate activist, you know, in you from, from an early age? That's a very good question. I grew up in Austria and uh, spent, I would say, most of my childhood sitting on trees in the garden. Um, our school days are rather shorter in Austria than they are in England. Uh, so we finish school at about 12, have lunch, and then, you know, our mothers usually boot us out and we have to find something to do <laughs> in hopefully some green space. And, um, you know, I would say spending all that time outside as a child certainly already uh, shape formed a strong bond with with the environment, with nature, uh, everything which was in our garden. You know, from from bushes and hedges that we could hide in, and trees we could climb on, uh, to flower beds that we tended to, uh, to seeing, um, for example, fantastic buddleia full of butterflies. Also observing the wildlife that had also taken up their home there. And um, yeah, that, that was really building that sort of strong link, certainly for me, to what was going on outside. Um, I also spent my holidays in the countryside there. Uh, you know, we have lots of wildflower meadows in Austria, um, beautiful, clear water lakes and uh, the whole thing. You have to picture it a bit like something out of Sound of Music. Uh, the film really depicts <laughs> life that, that is exactly dancing over meadows that type of thing <laughs> but how did the women come in well if you told me a year and a half ago that I'd be a woman's rights activist essentially um, a gender equality activist I would have said absolutely not uh, and why was that? Because, you know, I grew up in, in the West, in the, in the global North. Uh, I was educated um, all the way up to university level. And so I never felt, I always felt, you know, I had quite a good deal anyway. I didn't feel discriminated. Um, so that came much later in life. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and we'll, we'll find out more about that in, in, in a moment. And Antoinette, you know, how about you? Where did you grow up? And, and, and you know, we, 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 you were kind of bodily embracing kind of infant as well. Well, actually, it's interesting. I'm listening to Bianca and realizing how different my upbringing was. But the similarity we have is we were sort of both shoved outdoors by our parents. So <laughs> I, I grew up in West Africa and used to spend a lot of my time literally crawling around in the bushes um, climbing the trees and uh, West Africa is very well known for it but basically anything you touch is toxic or poisonous or whatever <laughs> so, yeah, you, I mean like not to mention the most poisonous snakes in the world I mean like 
I used to go swimming in the creek with crocodiles, completely oblivious. You know, now as a mother, if I knew my child was doing that, I, you know, I, I have an absolute fit. But, you know, I didn't want my parents to know. So I was climbing palm trees and jumping off. But the thing I had was actually watching. I was I was surrounded by village life. Um, and basically the fishermen going out into the ocean, bringing back fishes, which already at that point, even as a child, um, and I think this is something is this respect for nature. Um, it really upset me, although I knew it was necessary. It, I hated seeing animals suffering and I still saw them suffering. I was also exposed to the first type of pollution because in those days, ships would release their oil ballast so you get tar in your hair, you know, when you went swimming. Um, and then after that, I went to Saudi Arabia. And uh, that was very interesting in terms of women's rights. Um, and that made me keenly aware of a exposures to different cultures, different ways of doing things, but also an understanding that um, yin yangs are very very important balance and when we get out of kilter that's when things go wrong and that's why i started off in ocean conservation and then that's how i met bianca we're both involved in the environment and we've you know a beautiful convergence kind of <laughs> yeah and, and and so we're talking about this kind of moment of convergence you know like you know, you know when and how did you find your purpose i mean bianca do you want to talk about that you know you know, how did it come about? Um, so for me, the, the I'd say the defining moment um, was when I had my first child. I took some time off work, which was then corporate finance, uh, to look after this newborn. And it gave me also time to read up on things outside my immediate industry interest. And the more I read, the more questions I asked, the more I realized that not only had this born been into this child being born into a very polluted world, you know, that we lived in London, you know, which is full of very, very toxic air, uh, full of polluted air uh, from all the traffic mainly. And, um, you know, but, but pollutants were everywhere and, and chemicals were everywhere, unnatural chemicals. And um, also looking at the bigger picture, you know, reading up on, on our heating climate, uh, the pools were melting, uh, oceans acidifying, uh, biodiversity disappearing fast, I realized that we had a really humongous problem on our hands. And, and you know, when you're sort of faced with both huge responsibility on one hand, suddenly for new life, uh, a child whose future you have really sort of created and, and almost promised, you know, and, and that sense of endangerment, uh, as well, you, you that can be a catalyst for change. And for me, certainly, it was the, the springboard into a new life. Now, I'd always admired environmental activists. Okay, so when I was younger, probably as a teenager, and read about the Rainbow Warrior and these Greenpeace activists up sailing oil platforms and so on, I thought, God, these must be the most amazing people. And I so wished I could be there. This is the most exciting thing. But, you know, this was clearly reserved for really cool people and not people like me. And, and also, you know, if you find yourself with a newborn child, that's kind of a deeply uncool moment, as it certainly was for me. I was completely uh, stuck at home. Uh, you know, this child wanted my attention 24-7, screamed really loudly if I wasn't immediately at hand. And, 
And I realized, you know, that even getting out of my house was already a challenge. So how on earth would I suddenly change the course of this planet, you know, being fully <laughs> stranded at home? Well, you know, luckily we nowadays have computers and, and, and we have a voice and telephone and all sorts of other forms of communication. And that's where I really realized, you know, this can be a fantastic new uh, life as an activist at home. I can start this and be very influential um, just from my house and uh, still continue to do so. Actually, <laughs> over 10 years on, I'm still working from home. And um, yeah, you know, she's grown up and stopped screaming so much. Yeah, she's stopped screaming. She's brilliant. She, she, um, I, I try and keep her away actually from all these environmental topics because I can see a lot of anxiety in young people uh, from it. You know, obviously, this is hugely scary for for young people and i want her to have a happy childhood as long as she can uh, until she realizes maybe what goes on but but um yeah i wanted to to you know so that was where the interest for the environment i would say the activism started was with the birth of my child and then i was invited to do a tedx talk a few years ago when i was still very much a mother and um, but had started to join a few boards as an advisor, like the Board of Climate Earth and the the Sustainable Angle and Action for Conservation and so on. And I um, then decided to I looked at how women presented at conferences and decided to set up a network for women working in the sector, female environmental philanthropists and CEOs and founders of charities and foundations and influencers, and brought them together. And we called it the Women of the Environment Network. And that gave me the first insight into how women feel about the planet and their hopes and vision for the future and their passion, uh, most of all. Um, and that for us was really, in a way, the starting point for She Changes Climate. Yeah, yeah. It's such an amazing journey. And, and Antoinette, what happened for you? You know, was, was it a kind of road to Damascus experience or, 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 or was it more of a gradual process for you? Well, I've always been involved with the ocean. I've always been incredibly sensitive to the environment. And I just don't know why. I mean, I've often, I, I love watching social behavior. Why do we act the way we do? And when I was much younger, in fact, my first job, my first job, I was um, a temp agency. I was sent off to actually be a legal, a legal assistant. And the first thing they did is they say, oh, oh dear, go make coffee. And I went, no. <laughs> and they went, what? And I said, I'm not, I'm not here to make coffee. I didn't go to school to make coffee. And I was promptly relieved of my duties and, and duly admonished by everyone. And I was like, I am not accepting this. And I never did. I mean, I, and I don't know what it is in me that just was like, I'm not going to make your coffee. I'm not going to do your photocopies. You know, I'm, I'm here to do what, what I was hired to do. Um, and along the way, of course, you encounter, and it's been interesting going back to how understanding the systemic uh, sexism that we just accept, you know, oh, it's it's the way it is. Oh, men will be like that or whatever. And it was kind of like, I mean, I'll never forget one of my interviews. Are you planning on having children? No, you asked that question? My God. I'm in Switzerland. Believe me, it's completely different. Switzerland did get the vote very late. I wasn't really like that. So for female votes, so yes. Living through that, I sort of, I've had to, you know, wriggle my way through it. 
And then with um, um, the environment, seeing how often it is women who are the ones at the front end. You know, I, I was in Kenya a few years ago where we were by Lake Victoria learning about how women actually have to sell their bodies in order to get the fish catch. I mean, these are ridiculous things. And it's kind of like, I was looking at it going, why are they put in that position? Why do they have to do this? And it's, you know, it really is, it's, it's just the, the sharp end of the wedge and it really has always pissed me off. Anyway, so then Bianca one uh, last year had posted um, on our group, you know, that the COP26 team was all male. And as one does, you go, oh God, not another story. And that night I just couldn't sleep and I was tossing and turning and I was thinking, you know what? I work it, you know, anyone who works in the environment, anyone, if we don't have a good outcome of this COP and we missed a year, we were missing a year because of COVID, um, at a time when we've got literally less than 10 years left, we better have the best people at the helm. And right now we were missing all sorts of perspectives. Um, and so that was basically Bianca and I literally, we call ourselves co-conspirators because damn it, we weren't going to sit down and, and roll over. And within literally, I think Bianca in the space of about 10 days, we had everyone on board. We're reaching out. We're going to do this. And it was radical collaboration. The whole thing just snowballed. But it was such an amazing, I mean, I get goosebumps when I think about it because it went from nothing to 100%. Um, and yes, it was then 500% for both of us until December. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm really proud of this. And I was also honestly gobsmacked. I, I didn't realize that it would have such an impact. But it shows that there's, it's like the dried raisin that you put in water. It starts, you know, people wanted this, they were thirsty for this. No, oh. women wanted this. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And, and, and tell us, you know, Bianca, why is the inclusion of women and within, you know, underrepresented minorities at the decision-making table so important? Why is it absolutely essential that they are part, not just part of the conversation, actually at the table, making the decisions and, 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 and implementing the solutions? Mm. Well, Sarah, I always, I always compare, you know, the question I ask to, to people when, when um, they ask me this is, let me come back with a question. Um, is, you know, would you sail the world with one eye firmly patched up? You know, would, is it a good idea to do that, right? We, we know that choppy waters lie ahead. So is it a good idea to sail the world with one eye firmly patched up? I want to remind everyone here that women constitute 51% of the world's population. So they're, they're just half of the world's population, a little bit more than half. Uh, and does it make sense to try and decide on what best action to take going forward if that one eye is patched up, if women's voices are not included and their views and perspectives aren't heard? Now, any sailor will say it's a bad idea. You know, the chances of crashing the ship are really high. So it makes sense to just rip off that patch now get full vision of what lies around us and then decide which course to take. This is what we're talking about in very basic terms. Now, I've been often asked, you know, what do women bring to the table? Uh, why women and so on? Well, you know, beyond the sort of 
the fact that they are half of the world's population and literally the other eye of humanity, um, we never asked what do men bring to the table? You know, so I just think we actually shouldn't be asking what do women bring to the table? Why should we even have to justify, give a, a qualitative uh, uh, description of our work? It's completely ludicrous. And of course, you know, we all consist of both equal, equal some some male and female traits. You know, we, we, we are balancing ourselves. Every human being is. And we're calling for that balance at the top. We want 50-50 vision at the top. We want co-leadership. We want men and women to work on this together. So we're not asking for the replacement of men. We're just asking for 50-50 vision at the top. And that's just fair and it makes sense. And we all agree, right, we're in a complete stalemate. We're in 2021. We're in a climate emergency. We're in the sixth mass extinction. That means, you know, all the life around us is dying fast. And emissions are still rising, but what does that tell us? It tells us that the, the team, the teams, the many, many people who have worked on this so far clearly can't get this sorted, you know, and I applaud them for their efforts. However, they can't get this sorted. So we need to get a new team on board. We need to get new architects on board to design a sustainable future now. And those new architects have to be all the people that so far have been excluded. And that's mainly women in all their diversity, and then the rest of the people, of which are plenty, you know, these are women amongst indigenous people. We want to see youth represented as well. Uh, we want to see all these people to come on board uh, to solve this, because just by getting the same old people to try and solve this again and again, those old architects that built these old systems, the finance system, the energy system, the transport system, is not going to cut it anymore. Yeah, well said, and 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 I mean, I I, I find it astonishing. Yeah, I mean, I really do in this day and age that we're having this conversation. I'm <laughs> just completely gobsmacked. I mean, it feels to me we've gone backwards, and and I I, I I just can't get it. And and you know, when you look at the statistics about kind of you know even businesses with 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 you know equal gender boards, they perform better. I mean, like all the stats are there. So it's like, why are you ignoring? <laughs> Yeah, why are we still having to fight this fight when there are far more important things to do? I actually resent being here. I resent it because this should be, we let, we're in the damn 21st century and it's not going to happen organically. That's clear now. People saying, oh, you, it, no, we need positive proactive action to make these changes because they're not now in fact i've just been i've just uh, pulled out you know a quote from simon de beauvoir which says you know men confuse their own point of view with the absolute truth so basically it's a man's world and everything else is secondary to that and that's the that's the big systemic problem that we have to change but all of us women um we can step forward we can when there's mansplaining when there's interruptions when people look at their phones when women are talking i think those should be called out if i'm a man and i'm and coming onto a board i should ask what's the makeup if there isn't a woman there i want more women on it i will not join the board until there are women there i think this this whole lens this whole way of, of thinking that, oh, I'm here, but, you know, the next one, and we've had that. We've been told the next climate champion or the next person will be a female, perhaps. And, of course, it hasn't. I, and so, like the, 
Rispondi, it's like, it's like, yes, yes, it's like, why not now? Exactly. So, so one of the things we say is, you know, we expect men to step up by stepping down or stepping aside, because that's a way of showing um, fellowship. And, and, you know, this isn't a male-female battle. It is just... Mm -hmm. Balance. We need balance. The world is out of balance. My new my new figure is 50%. So 50% of um, the world's biodiversity has been lost in the last 50 years. 50% of male sperm count has disappeared in the last 40 years. Um, we've got 50% uh, of the world's uh, plankton, phytoplankton that produces our oxygen has disappeared. Pretty worrying. So let's bring 50% of women in so that we can start changing those, those percentages for good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, you know, Bianca, it would be interesting just to, to touch on, you know, what are the qualities that women actually bring? I mean, I, I, I'm a great fan of like the Athena doctrine, you know, which, 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 you know, has, 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 it's a great book um, for, for everyone who, you know, who should read it, which kind of actually lists the female qualities. And they don't necessarily actually even have to be held by women. They can, they, you know, they can be held by men, but it's around like vision and integrity and inspiration and empathy. So I'd love to hear your perspective on, on you know, that, well, I mean, in a sense, that old question, what, what do women bring to the table? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've read studies on this and I think it's fairly well understood that women are, you know, the female leadership style is considered to be collaborative. Uh, some people have said in meetings, you know, now we're at an age where we have to collaborate or collapse. And I think that's a really important line to keep in our, our minds. Um, and, uh, you know, some studies say women are more empathetic, uh, more caring. Certainly, if you look at the peace, uh, peace building process, uh, when you have women involved, peace, uh, you know, a, a peace treaty is is you know achieved typically and and lasts longer. So they have a very very positive influence um, in peace um, treaty negotiations. But I would say um, for me the key thing here is innovation. So we know that with our current systems we cannot continue to operate our current systems aren't designed for a finite plan with finite resources uh, our current systems have to be there for all change that's the finance system the energy the transport system the food system everything i mentioned earlier and we need to innovate so we can't carry on with the old way of doing things uh, we need to innovate and to really truly innovate, we need completely fresh minds on board. And women are differently designed to men themselves. Our brains are wired differently. Our, our, you know, we have, have different um, genetics as well. So, so we know we are different uh, in all sorts of ways. And we need to make that difference a tool now to innovate. So we need to bring their ideas on board we need to let them redesign the finance system. We can ask ourselves, what would the finance system look like if women had designed it? 
what would it look like? You know, if you think about how it, how it developed, it, these were usually banks set up by, by families and, and they were always handed on from one male generation to the next. The women in those families had other roles to play. They were you know, busy getting married and, and looking after the education of their children and the households and so on. They were not instrumental in forming the finance industry as we know today. So what would finance look like if we let women redesign it well i think it could not only solve possibly the climate crisis but it could answer all sorts of things you know questions about inequality for example that we're facing in our society today that urgently need to be addressed and this is under the topic of climate justice as well you know what what would it look like and that's i think that the key element here is innovation we need innovation we need innovative female brains to come in now and redesign the future. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with me with you more, uh, Bianca. And I, I mean, like, I know so many female founders of, of, of extraordinary, you know, companies, you know, often with, with, with you know, climate, really radical, like climate commitments or, 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 or you know, um, or social and, and beneficial aspects to them. And they can't get financing because they're women. I mean, <laughs> end of story. Mm-hmm. Antoinette, over to you, my dear. So isn't it interesting? Um, what was it? Martin Wolf from the Financial Times. I, I listened to him on an interview the other day and he sort of said, you know, we we overvalue what's old and we undervalue what's new. People don't like change and particularly those who are in power. And another person said, you know, for true radical transformation takes place, you know, we need we need to change that. Um, I'm, I feel what do women bring? Is it really women's qualities or have we just been boxed into that? Is it society that makes men more cutthroat? That, and this is the point with climate, with the climate crisis, we can't have a winner takes all approach. We ha- everyone has to win. Everyone has to win. And that's what the negotiations are about. Even today, as we head towards COP26, we know it's going to be the global north who caused the problem, telling the global South what they need to do to stop doing something about it. It's Which ridiculous. Is when, you, when, when your island is about to be submerged underwater, isn't it? I mean, like really, really, really jolly helpful. Yeah. You know, and the other thing is that, again, socioeconomic um, conditions have put women on the front line of climate change um, effects, whether it's sudden tidal surges, flooding, hurricanes, who are the ones to go grab the animals, the children to take them away and they can't swim, so they drown. You know, you have a lot of, uh, they have to get walk further. I've just read an article today, I think Bianca posted about a woman um, in Nigeria, she, ha- you know, villagers have to go walking further to get water. So the chances of them being raped or, or abused or killed or kidnapped, um, all, all increase. I mean, so, so what we're trying, what we need to go back to is if I were a woman at COP26, these were the things I would be looking out for in our agreements. I wouldn't just be looking at the economics. I'd be looking at the social. I'd be looking at healthcare. Uh, another problem, just, just out of, just to show you, COP26, big problem. Women are coming. They have kids. It's half term. Where are they going to put their children? Is there a crash there? 
just why is society so geared to let's you know hard-nosed accounting uh, economy the e- economic value of nature when sometimes there is no economic value other than the fact that you're going to have air to breathe and pure drinking water to drink so i tend to feel you know women can bring a hell of a lot but i think anyone who hasn't been there in the decision making needs to be there but of course it's principally women at the moment yeah yeah and and you know i i think a lot of people listening to this will be like getting fired up and going, this is really unacceptable you know so what is your kind of top tip for those listening who want to start somewhere you know how can they join the movement how can they get involved you know what can they do i always say come check out shechangesclimate.org and become a signatory but that's sort of the first step i mean there are many many things you can do from uh, as what we we heard also is that women are, are totally underrepresented on social media for example they're less likely to be retweeted uh, reposted uh, quoted so really put a lens on on your own social media use and think about giving the light to the female voices out there. I think it starts with that, is, is you know, shine the light on women around you. Um, if you are a voter, well, vote for women. You know, we definitely need only a quarter of the world's parliamentarians are women, only a fifth of ministers are women. Uh, 3.5% of UK prime ministers only have been women. Um, we miss them in government as much as we miss them in business. So that's one way of, of making a big difference is just vote for the women <laughs> that uh, you like uh, amongst the candidates. Um, another thing to do is obviously to, to, if you are an employer, an employee, check out the board of the company you are uh, engaged with. Because again, we need to see equal representation at board level. Only 16% of all board positions around the world are currently taken up by women. Uh, so you can see there's still 80, 84% of board positions are taken up by men. Uh, we need to change that. If you are an investor or if, you're, if you are saving your money, for example, giving your money to someone, um, you know, think about giving it to women-led teams. I'm sorry, you addressed this. Only two to 3% of VC funding, venture capital funding, goes to women at the moment, so they're not getting the chance to set up businesses. If you don't have any any money to invest, um, um, but feel some entrepreneurial energy in you and our woman, do think about setting up something, whether that's an organization or a business. We think that this has to be a new founder era because we need to disrupt old businesses. We need new businesses to spring up now, and we need your ideas to come to fruition. Um, To make it all a bit more fun, I would also say uh, find your own network, either create your own network. A WhatsApp group is absolutely sufficient um, with people who also care for the environment or find groups around you that are already engaged with this, engaged with this. Yeah. And Antoinette, what are your top tips for those listening who want to really start somewhere and change this? Um, You know, it's interesting about this is I think it's also our behavior. And uh, in fact, uh, funnily enough, it's just on a call with someone else today. So many women 
um, tend to be, and I think, what is it that we all defer or we're all, um, we can't, you know, we can't be too uh, braggish or whatever. We don't put ourselves out there. I had a young woman who interned for us and I was doing a letter of recommendation and she said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm doing this for an American university and it's a little bit, you know, out there, it's a little bit stronger. And I turned around and I said, don't you ever, ever, ever undersell yourself. You are worth something. And what happens most of the time is women say, oh, and they don't speak up and or they'll defer to someone else. I've learned to get my voice partly because of my daughter who's, you know, I was like, oh, God, I hate talking in public. I hate being out here. This is not my thing. And my daughter said to me, she said, I want you out there because you are someone I can look to and know that there's someone out there doing something about this and I can follow in your footsteps. We're not, it's not us as the messenger, it's the message. And if we don't start using our voices and speaking up, so if someone is, I was actually, uh, again, last week, um, had lunch with uh, someone in a, in a, who was, he, she's on a board in the UK and um a, a, a woman on the board started talking and the men started looking at their phones or interrupting. No. She called them out. She called them out. She said, listen to what so-and-so has to say. She And everyone was a little bit offended by it, but it was basically, the, it's her time to talk. You have to give it. So the point that we have to do is keep on our toes. Um, I'm, as a mother, I remember when my kids were running around, I'd always look if they were near a stair or if they were going to do something crazy. In that same vein of that sort of attentiveness, we need to keep that on us for women, for our sisters, to make sure that they're not being walked over, that if they are showing any sign of, of nervousness, we're there to protect them, encourage them and stand up for them so that they feel supported as well. We're not doing this alone there are so many women who are ready to stand up beside and help other women and we need to keep gathering that around that radical collaboration yeah i i, I so agree with what you're saying and, and really to say well done when, yeah. when women do things that are amazing say well done like that is amazing because yeah. they can't hear it enough <laughs> And I think most women still have an inner dialogue going, oh, God, was I good? And, you know, how did that go? And stuff like that. And we really need to support each other. And, and it is a sisterhood. And, you know, men do that the whole time. You know, this kind of boys club, well done, mate. You know, we, we, we don't do that. And in a sense, I think history has also kind of pitted women against each other. And, and, and there is no against each other. I mean, we're in this together. And together we, we, we rise. Sorry, Angela, you wanted to say something. You've just reminded me of something. So, of course, during COVID, we were stuck down watching lots of TV and, and films or whatever. And uh, Gina Davis um, has started uh, an, an organization to make sure that women are represented in movies and films, and positively so. And what was interesting, in the last year, I watched about two or three movies, and I was really impressed about it because it wasn't women pitted against each other. It was women, a sisterhood working together against a system, against a patriarchy. But what it was, it was not what the normal expectation has been, which has actually normally been driven by the male gaze, but this was the female gaze. And it was so much more positive. And I would watch it going, wow, that's, that's something that really makes me feel good as a woman. 
And in fact, even my husband was watching going, wow, that's really nice. It's not all this bitchiness. So yeah, it really I, was important. I, I mean, I was rather obsessed with like Frozen 2, actually, myself. <laughs> I won't lie. But you know, for once there wasn't like a, you know, there wasn't, it, it wasn't a love story. Like she wasn't trying to get the attention of, of like a, a bloke or a prince and there was no like fight over the romance and she was on her mission which was to save the world and and, and I just thought you know and supported by her sister and and the other female characters and I thought that is really how it how it is and how it should be and, and that really is the new model and and you know I just wanted to say thank you you know for what you're doing uh because it, it, it's phenomenal <laughs> It takes up so much of your time, but it's so it's so worth doing, and we have to do this because because otherwise we're not going to put you know push it push you know the world forward, and we're we're going to end up surveying some kind of steamingly uh, awful looking ruins and 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 just going you know we missed our opportunity, and I think that's what it comes down to. If you want to make a difference in the world, you know even if you're nervous about speaking up, you know. Ultimately, we're talking about the future of humanity and all living things. And, you know, that's a good reason to find your voice. Forget about, like, you know, what you look like, <laughs> you know, what you were even wearing. You know, I have to do that the whole time. And it's just like, you know, really step forward and, 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 and you'll find your tribe and you'll find your supporters. And, you know, if you could remind us where, where people can go to find She Changes Climate and, 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 and even, you know, follow you, that would be great. So, so that is www.shechangesclimate.org. You'll find everything that you need there. We're starting um, a big campaign for, as Bianca had said, the 50-50 vision, which is ownerless. It means all of us should be using that. Um, and then there's all our social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, and then and on LinkedIn. So we've got all the social media, but more importantly, it's, raising also other groups work as well as our own. Um, and we're just going to keep pashing it until the message gets through. This is, we're getting a bigger and bigger hammer and we're going to just nail it till, till eventually something shifts. And I have no doubt that <laughs> with you two and the rest of the network in, you know, in the front line, that that, that is going to happen. I think it will be more of a gentle tsunami myself, but, but you know, <laughs> and then we'll look around and the, the masses will have swelled and, and, and really will have changed. But really, thank you, you know, for, for everything that you're doing and, and your incredible passion and determination and, and resilience uh, in the face of everything. And thank you for talking to me today. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. And thank you for giving us a voice. That's also so important. And your work is vitally important as well. So we really appreciate it. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I, you know, this is such an important topic and I'm so grateful for you for coming on. Thank you. Wow, aren't, aren't they extraordinary, Bianca and Antoinette? I mean, they, they are blazing such a trail and, and it's astonishing what, what they're doing. And, you know, just remember, like in everything you do, insist on, on the fact that there needs to be more women and more diverse representation at every table in the land. And tomorrow's guest is, again, just an extraordinary, extraordinary person the incredible Zanergy artist who is a founder, co-executive director and the policy director of the global youth-led climate justice organisation Zero Hour. 
uh, he's just fabulous and you're going to so enjoy hearing from him.